Thank you for joining us on the Hope Church LV podcast. We're excited you came across this message. If you're joining us for the first time, I want to be the first to say welcome to Hope Church. Go ahead and open up the Hope Church LV app or visit HopeChurchLV.com and click connect with us to fill out a short digital connection card. If you haven't done so already, make sure to subscribe, rate, and review our podcast to help spread Hope Church to the world. Once again, thanks for joining us today. Amen. 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 Well, good morning, Hope Church family. Go ahead and open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 9. Matthew chapter 9. And as you're turning there, we just need to get a little praise break for just a moment because after almost a year, there is no more construction and no more construction cones on cactus. And this service right here feels it the most. So thank you for your patience. We had no control over it and it is finally finished. Praise the Lord. Getting out of here will be a little easier with four lanes in just a little while. Matthew chapter nine, we're gonna be there in just a moment. We got a lot of work to do before we get there. But um, as you've seen, as you've heard, unless you've just walked in, uh, we are in a two-week celebration, a two-week event, a two-week series that we do here at Hope every year called Hope for the world. And that's actually where I want to jump in and, and actually ask that in the form of a question. I want you to think, get your mental notebook out, don't answer out loud. But how would you answer this question? What is the hope for the world? Don't answer out loud. Just think about how you would answer that question. I wonder if we sent out an email or a text message to every single person on planet Earth asking that question. We get a ton of responses. I think we probably get a lot of good responses. What is the hope for the world? Somebody might say, without a biblical worldview maybe, the hope for the world is, is health and wealth and prosperity or, or an or a equal opportunity for everyone on planet Earth. And listen, that's a worthy idea. But we also know from an eternal perspective that the Bible actually tells us that you could gain the whole world. You could have health, wealth, and prosperity and yet still lose your soul. So that can't be the hope for the world, as good as that might be. Others might say justice, we live in such an unjust, broken world. And so we, we would say the hope for the world, some people would say hope for the world is justice and, and things being right. And listen, as Jesus followers, we should care about justice. We should care about what's what making wrong, right, what's wrong in the world, in the areas of social justice and, and racial justice and economic justice. But the reality is, as hard as we may work, none of those things can ever change the sinful human heart. So as awesome as those things may be, those cannot be the hope for the world. Yet others may answer that question in the most practical way possible. Man, there's a lot of people on the planet today who are literally starving, who do not have access to clean water. So on a very practical basis, the hope for the world is, is food and sustenance and clean water for everyone. And as amazing as those things are, we as a church partner with organizations to help bring food and aid to people and help get people clean water. But some of you know a story in John chapter four where Jesus is actually talking to a woman at a well. And he says, you can continue to search all the wells in the world. This water will continue to make you thirsty and you will thirst again. But I give you a water, he says, that will satisfy you forever. So even those things, as good as they are, they cannot be the hope for the world. In fact, Jesus actually answers the question I laid before you in the beginning. The reality is, 
although there are many things we can say are good for the world, some of you are picking up what I'm putting down today, the only hope for the world is Jesus Christ himself. He is the hope for the world. Because the reality is, church, all the money, all the sustenance, all the things that we could say if we just had our just little right world and our little utopia, all of that would actually mean nothing if it was apart from Jesus Christ because he is the hope for the world. It's the reason he says things like he says in John chapter 14, verse six, he had the boldness to say this, I am the way, the truth, and the life, no one comes to the Father except through me. Listen, the reason I have confidence to say that Jesus Christ is the hope for the world is because he says stuff like that, that he is the way and the truth and the life. What we need most is only found in him. What every human being on planet earth needs most is found in him. And the reason I start that way together today is because we're gonna talk about a lot of needs over the next couple weeks. We're gonna highlight ways that you can partner to, to meet some needs, but ultimately all of those needs point to a deeper longing in the human soul, which is a relationship with the creator God, who is Jesus. He is the hope for the world. And so we take a couple weekends a year specifically to highlight what God is doing through our church in Las Vegas, the West and the world. Because we live in a world that's so desperate to hear what I just said that he is the hope for the world. And he's actually inviting us as a church, you as a Jesus follower, as a part of this church to get in on that. Not just to hear about it, but to get in on being people who tell people about it. So we're gonna call us to action over the next couple of weeks because God is at work in a very big world. This is a very big world. You don't need me to tell you that, even just our city, let's start there. You guys know over the last couple of years, if you've been here, this place has exploded. I moved here when I was really young, seven years old, and this thing has grown tremendously. If you have been here for many years, but did you know that there's over 3 million people now that call Las Vegas home? That's a lot of people. There's a reason there's all this construction going on around us all the time. It's because there's millions of people here right in our city. Zoom out a little bit. The, the 13 states that make up the Western United States there's now 78 million people that call those 13 states home. And of course, I'm sure you've heard just this last year, we surpassed as a world 8 billion people on the planet. 3 million right around the corner from us here in Las Vegas. 78 million up and down the West Coast and 8 billion people around the world. And what I want us to see today is those aren't just numbers and those aren't just, you know, stats. These are people that all have an eternal destination and they all are deeply living in a world of need in this world that we live in. They are in need of a savior. We live in a broken world. I don't have to tell you that. We see it all the time. Sin, disease, war. It is very clear that our world is broken. But what we just said as we began is we have the key, the answer, not a key, a answer, the key, the answer, his name is Jesus. We know the brokenness of the world, but we just said we know the hope for the world, which is Jesus. So here's the other question I want us to wrestle with as we continue today. If those two things are true, why is the world still so broken? 
That's the tension I want us to wade into for a minute. We know the problems and we just said we got the solution. So why, even though we know the problem and we have the solution, why is the world still so broken? And here's the answer that I want us to lean into, not just this week and next week, but with our lives on an ongoing daily basis. Here's the answer. Because the mission of God is still not yet complete. There's much work to be done because there's so many people around our city and around the West and around the world that do not know the truth that Jesus is the hope for the world. And here's what we just learned and we're gonna continue to learn is God has called us to be a part of telling them. But let's get real honest today and I'll start with me. Much of the time, I am not doing that. And maybe you could say the same for yourself. We know that we've been sent as ambassadors for Christ. If you're a follower of Jesus, he calls you to be an ambassador for him, sent on mission in this world. But if we're just gut level honest, much of the time we are not doing it. So many reasons why, but I just wanna give you a few that maybe you can relate to. These are true in my life at times and maybe they'd be true of your life. Three things, they all start with D to keep them easy and rememberable. Here's the first one, I'm distracted. Anybody else distracted in this world we live in? Like I'm distracted for a lot of reasons. I got me, myself, and I, first of all, they're distracting. Me and my phone, distracting. Maybe it's not just me, myself, and I, it's me, myself, and mine, my little family, my, my, little, my little picket fence life, right? This is how we live, insulated. I'm distracted. But not only am I de- distracted, I'm desensitized. Give you an example, just this week, as I'm preparing this message, trying to wrap my heart around all this, I'm on Instagram and I'm scrolling through and, and just the, the painful realities of the fall are just right before me. I'm seeing all this stuff going on in the Middle East. I mean, I'm just seeing in real time, just the devastating realities of the fall. About 15 seconds later, I scroll up and I'm watching like the funniest video on YouTube, right? It's okay to laugh. It's doing something to us. We, we are have the, the worst of the worst and then 15 seconds later, we're just laughing. What's that doing over time? That's desensitizing us to the realities around us. And it's happening to every single one of us. It's happening to me. We become numb to the things that we should not be numb to. We're distracted, we're desensitized and that leads us to be disengaged. We don't know what to do, so we don't do anything. And here's what this week and next week is as we trust the Lord for what he wants to do. We are seeing the need and we're saying we can no longer be distracted and desensitized and disengaged. We cannot do it because the mission is too big. So we're asking the spirit of God to to inspire us and motivate us to to see what he sees and do something about it. There's gonna be a lot of calls to action. I hope you're ready. Because by the Spirit's power, we want to be about not just highlighting the needs, but meeting those needs in Jesus' name. So we're going to talk about a lot of things over the next two weeks. And the goal is not to overwhelm us. Specifically today, I just want to highlight one way that I think we can begin to make some progress. Is we begin to see people the way Jesus sees people. The text we're gonna be in in just a moment, it's gonna help us. He's gonna model for us. Our Lord and Savior is gonna model how we should see the people, the 3 million and the 78 million and the 8 billion people the way he sees them and then motivate us to action. We could see him do what he desires to do in and through us. So pick up your Bible. 
Matthew chapter 9. Hopefully it's open there on your app or in your lap. We're going to read verses 35 through 38 of the word of God. Here's what the Bible says in Matthew 9. And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Over the next few weekends, we're going to be looking at these four verses and asking the Lord to remind us, for those of us who have heard some of these things before, to inspire all of us to see what he's doing and to motivate him, motivate us to trust him for what he desires to do through us. So four verses, we'll look at two this week and two next week. I wanna focus specifically on verses 35 and 36 and pull out two realities that we can learn from. Here's the first one. Jesus goes and tells people in need. It's pretty simple right there in verse 35, look at it. Jesus went throughout all the village, uh, cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. Jesus goes and tells people in need. What we see here is he is intentionally among the people. Now, unless today is your first time, you know as a church, we're studying verse by verse through another gospel, the gospel of Mark. We've been studying that for a couple of years. We're gonna have a couple of years left just walking through Jesus's life in the gospel of Mark. And so as you read this, if you've been with us in Mark, you know this is kind of how Jesus does things. He's always on the move. He's always intentional to be around people. He said he came to seek and save people that were lost. So here he is again, just doing what Jesus does, going through these cities and villages. And historians tell us that, that these aren't just a couple, that in the ancient Near East, this probably would have been up to 200 cities and villages that Jesus is making his way through. 200 cities and villages that could be home to upwards of 3 million people. Should sound familiar. It's kind of like our city. It's like Jesus is making his way through Las Vegas, intentionally being with people in these cities and villages and all around one focus. Look at it. The gospel of the kingdom. What is that? That phrase in and of itself is actually only used by Matthew, but the, the concepts of the gospel and the kingdom are all over the Bible. In fact, in the book we're studying as a church, the Gospel of Mark, Jesus starts his public ministry by talking about these two concepts and how it applies to our lives. Look at Mark chapter 1, verses 14 and 15. Now after John, that's John the Baptist, to those of you who don't know, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Now, just as a regular rhythm, as you study the Bible, every time you see the word gospel, you should just stop for just a moment and thank the Lord because the gospel is the good news. It's the Greek word euangelion. If you don't know what that means and you're a follower of Jesus, you don't need to know the Greek, but you know the, the reason behind the Greek because it saved you from your sin. The gospel is that you and I were, were separated from, from a relationship with God. We lived in a broken and, and desperate world and Jesus Christ came into that broken world that needed a savior, God in the flesh, lived a perfect life, died on the cross for the sin of humanity, literally in our place for our sin, paid your debt. 
Three days later, he rose again from the grave to defeat death, hell, and the grave. And if you're a Christian today, he saved you by that good news. That good news saved you. If you're not a Christian today, listen, that good news can save you right now in this moment. Right now in this moment. What we have to understand is the gospel is the doorway into the kingdom. If you're a follower of Jesus today, you might not say it like that, but you have believed in the gospel. The good news has saved you from your sin and you entered into the kingdom of God. You are now a part of a kingdom that is alive and well. You say, what's the kingdom of God? Well, think of any kingdom. The kingdom of God is a place where there's a ruler and his name is Jesus. He is the king of the kingdom. And so no matter what the bad news looks like, there is a king that is ruling and reigning and sustaining all that we know today. And his name is Jesus. And the way we get into that kingdom is we believe in the gospel. The gospel is the doorway to the kingdom. But last week we talked about this reality that there are aspects of the kingdom that we've already experienced, salvation and grace. And we're seeing the kingdom of God all, all around the world today, but there's a lot of aspects of that kingdom that have not yet been fully realized. Why? Because the mission is not yet complete. So Jesus here and now Jesus through his church is proclaiming this same kingdom, inviting people into the kingdom. I'll say it to you this way, Jesus put himself in places where he could see the need. That's what I wanna focus for the rest of our time. That's our second point. Not only is he, not only goes and tells people, Jesus sees and cares for people in need. Look at verse 36. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them. I'll read that again. When he saw the crowds, he didn't walk past them. He didn't think there's not much we can do. There's too many of them. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion. This word compassion, it's the strongest word for pity in the Greek language. It talks about a time where you feel something so real, it literally has a physical effect on you. You ever seen something right in your midst or seen something on the TV or on your, on your screen where, where you literally it's like there's, you can feel it in your gut. That's how Jesus feels when he sees the crowd. He had compassion on them. And the text tells us why. Because they were harassed and helpless. Let's talk about these words this word harassed is a word that means troubled, but, but much deeper than that. It really physically, it literally means ripped apart, mangled. Jesus is seeing a people that are living lives that literally feel like they are being torn apart by their existence. Their whole life seems to be being torn apart. You know anybody like that right now? Think about your family, your friends, your circle. That's how they would describe their life right now. It's like, man, it's like life is just tearing me apart. Listen, maybe you're here today and that's how you would describe your life. You walked in here today with a limp because it literally feels like life is ripping you apart. And I hope you see from the word of God today, he sees you. Right now, however jacked up it may look, he sees you. Harassed, but not just harassed, helpless. 
This is a word that means to be thrown down. It's literally like, not only does life feel like it's ripping them apart, but life feels like it's kicking the mess out of them and keeping them down. They can't get a break. They're harassed and helpless. Why? The text continues to tell us. Because they're like sheep without a shepherd. They're like sheep without a shepherd. Now, full transparency, I grew up in Las Vegas and I did not grow up seeing many sheep, okay? Not a lot of sheep going on in my life. If you come, if you're from Vegas, you know that's true. So over the past 20 years of following Jesus and reading from this Bible that the sheep and shepherds are very common in that part of the world at this time, I had to do some research. Okay, what does it mean to be sheep without a shepherd? And just to put it bluntly, as you research what sheep are, sheep are pretty dumb, okay? They need some serious help. They are helpless and hopeless. Not only are they, they need direction, but they need protection. They need somebody to guide them, but you ain't never seen a savage, mean sheep. <laughs> they don't exist. So they need some protection because there's some savage animals that will take them out one by one. So they need a protector. See, this isn't Jesus being mean. This is Jesus having that gut level compassion. They needed someone. And he knows he was that someone. Listen, he still is that someone for vulnerable and needy people. J.C. Ryle said it this way. He saw them ignorant, hopeless, helpless, dying. The sight moved him to deep pity. That loving heart could not see such things and not feel. Now, what are our feelings when we see such a sight? This is the question that should arise in our minds. Here's what I want us to see before we move on. Jesus goes and tells people in need and he sees and cares for people in need. I'll put it to you in this sentence. Jesus consistently puts himself in places to see and care for people's needs. Follow Jesus around all throughout his life. He consistently puts himself in places to see and care for people's needs. And here's where we're gonna turn for the rest of our time together today. If that's how Jesus lived his life then, and that is undeniable as you read the scriptures. Church, how do you think now as he lives his life in and through us, he desires to live still? That's how he lived his life then. Now, if you're a follower of Jesus, he's placed his life inside of you. How do you think he wants to live out his life now the same way he did then? So what we're gonna do for the remainder of our time is we're gonna let the word of God, like we do every week, bear weight on our lives. Let's apply this to our lives right now on the street level in Las Vegas, the West, and the world. We'll do that by asking some hard questions. Here's the first. What are we seeing in our city? Maybe make this personal. What am I seeing in my city? We mentioned it earlier, but if we're not careful, the way we answer that question is, not much. I kind of got my own little thing going on. I kind of looking down in my little circle all the time. I kind of go to school and work and to the store and maybe do a movie and repeat 24-7, 365. I'm not seeing much in our city. And that's why today's a call for us to maybe just look up. Look up and see what's all around us. In fact, that's what Jesus said to his disciples in John chapter four. Look at it. Look, I tell you, Lift up your eyes and see the fields are white for harvest. Jesus is saying to the disciples then and now, just look up. 
It's all around you, all around us. People are in need. We just need to look up. I said earlier, there's three million people around our city. You probably live in a neighborhood like mine. People everywhere. You go to the same stores I do. People everywhere. As we've done studies over the years at, at Hope, we know that over 90% of Las Vegas doesn't know Jesus. 90% right now are just like these people, sheep without a shepherd. Maybe put it to you on the ground a little more. I want you to think about next time you're at Smith's and you're sitting there in the checkout line. You look to your right, look to your left. Maybe there's 10 people around you. The statistics would say 90% of those people, nine out of the 10 people around you at any given point in our city right now are on their way to a Christless eternity. Listen, that should do something to us, church. And here's the deal. We're going to talk a few more things like this. I have no desire to guilt anybody today. Today is not guilt. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. But the Bible says there should be compassion. That's what we're trying to feel. I don't want anybody to walk out of here today feeling guilt. But I hope we all walk out of here feeling some compassion. And here's the deal. Seeing things the way he sees things. So I'm not just sitting around 10 people at Smith's. I'm sitting around nine people who are like sheep without a shepherd. Give us eyes to see what you see, Lord. So these aren't just neighbors and classmates and coaches and hairstylists and gas station employees. These are potentially sheep without a shepherd. It hit me this week as I was driving and I got caught up in a, a school zone. You ever happen to that? Like you're there for like 20 minutes because there's just kids everywhere, right? 90% of those kids like sheep without a shepherd. I asked our team for some, for some stats. They gave this to me. They said that CCSD is the fifth largest school district in our nation. I mean, there's just kids everywhere. Hundreds and hundreds of thousands of kids go to school in Clark County School District schools. Many of them are like sheep without a shepherd. So next time I'm caught up in a school zone, I'm not just looking at my phone saying, I need to get somewhere. Maybe I see these kids walking down the street and I go, God, would you save that person? Would you save that student? Would you save that person? This is how we see an effort to continue to push this stand Sunday and stand with foster care. Did you know there are 3,000 kids in foster care in our city on any given day? 3,000 kids, 90% of that, 2,700 kids right now, vulnerable, harassed, helpless, hopeless, like sheep without a shepherd. Listen, as we hear these things, we should start to feel some compassion. But let's just be real. A lot of times my response, my reaction to that's not compassion, it's, it's indifference. It's like, wow, that's, that's a lot, but like, okay, what, what do I do? I mean, come on, man, I got my family, I got my job, and things aren't so great in my life right now. Like, what do I do? If you're here today and the word of God is bearing weight on your life and you're asking the question, what can I do? I wanna give you some things that we as a team have said, let's, let's, Let's give some ideas and some options for what we can do. Trusting the Lord, even in our feeble attempts to say, yes, Lord, whatever you want. What if all of us as a church just started small? Just started small, just looking at your everyday life. Not, don't even change anything as far as your schedule. You don't have to do that at first. What if you just looked at your regular pattern of life, but instead of seeing people, not just for what they can do for you, seeing people for who they are, which are people made in the image of God who most likely are sheep without a shepherd. So what, when you check out at the store, the person that's ringing up your items, they're not just somebody ringing up your item and getting you on your way. They're somebody who may be a sheep without a shepherd. 
you may look for an opportunity to see them and speak with them about the hope for the world, which is Jesus. Or maybe it's the, the server where you eat or the mailman or the person that collects your garbage, your kid's teacher or your kid's coach. What if the people of Hope Church left this weekend seeing people the way Jesus sees people and then looking for opportunities to share with them there is hope for the world and his name is Jesus. What if we just started seeing people differently? Maybe you're saying, I'm ready to, to see people, but I'm also ready to take a step and get involved. Passionate about what God's doing here in our city. We've highlighted a lot today and we'll continue to highlight it. We have a city engagement ministry called The Hub and the hub has, has these five lanes. We're pushing back what's dark in our world and introducing people to Jesus. So if there's anything in you that is passionate about foster care or the fight against sex trafficking or racial reconciliation or education or, or the homelessness epidemic, if anything in you is passionate about this, we need to know who you are so we can mobilize you to actually put some feet to your faith and start to see these people on the ground where they are and God could use you to introduce them to the hope of the world. So after our service, you might need to go out to the table that says Las Vegas and say, I'm ready to serve. Put me in coach, I'm ready to play. I wanna serve in whatever way you need. I promise you, we can mobilize a ton of people right here in our city to push back what's dark in the world and introduce people to the hope of the world, which is Jesus. But we've always said for years, one church can't reach a city by itself. So right now, we have two church planting residents, the Balfour family and the Gracia family, who are planting incredible gospel-centered churches right here in our city because we need to continue to multiply churches. So maybe you're interested in getting involved in what God's doing in another church context with a church plant. Again, we need to know who you are. You can go visit Stephanie out in, our, in the lobby after our service. She, she leads our, our church planting team and she cares for our church planters in such a good way. That could just be one way where you just get involved with what God's doing and expanding his kingdom through Church planning, this is how we get involved and maybe start to see people like he sees people in our city, but it's not just our city, it's not just the nation. Second question, what are we seeing in our world? What are we seeing in our world? Most of us, if we're honest, we see all the bad news and there's a lot of it. Every day you can open your news feed and just see all the things going wrong in the world. But remember as followers of Jesus, we look at everything from an eternal perspective. And there are 8 billion people on the planet and billions of them are without Christ. 8 billion people live in 195 countries, make up 17,000 people groups, 17,000 people groups around the world. Of those 17,000, over 7,000 of those are what are called unreached people groups. An unreached people group is a group of people where less than 2% of those people have a relationship with Jesus. Don't get lost in the minutia. What does that mean? There are billions of people right now that are headed to an eternity separated from God in a place called hell, and many of them don't even know he exists. But the good news is you're a part of a church that sees that and cares for that and by the grace of God wants to send more and more and more people to help push that back by God's grace to see more people who right now are sheep without a shepherd come to understand who the shepherd is. They were created by the shepherd to be loved by the shepherd, to be in a relationship with the shepherd. And we get to have an opportunity to introduce those people to him. What did Jesus do? He put himself in places where he could see the need and do something about it. Happened for me in 2011. I'd never been on a mission trip. Pastor Tom McCormick invited me to join him with a bunch of college students on a trip to the nation of Thailand, a mission trip. We call them go time trips here. And I got on a plane for the first time, 
overseas on a mission trip. I went to a place I'd never been before, didn't speak the language. And I'm just telling you, it was an incredible experience as I got to stand on a stage and look at over 600 Buddhist children growing up in this Buddhist nation, following that religion. And I got to, with passion and a lot of fun, tell over 600 Buddhist children about the hope for the world whose name is Jesus. And I'm not trying to be dramatic. I'm not trying to be over-spiritual. That trip changed my life. Why? Because I saw it. And stats from sermons and stories from missionaries became real-life experiences and friendships that I still have to this day. In fact, this week, one of those kids that I met on that first trip in 2011 barely spoke English. He was sitting at my dinner table this week because he's still partnering with our church. And he's still, listen, what is that? That's the kingdom of God. That's the kingdom of God being alive and well. You say, okay, Scott, that's cool. That's just one person. Listen, one by one by one, just maybe by his grace, we get to 8 billion. Listen, God is able. The question is, are we willing? This is what we want to be about. One by one by one by one. But Pastor Teddy, if you missed that part in worship where he's just sharing with us a few villages they got to, they got to be a part of, a few villages they got to share the gospel with. What is this? This is the kingdom of God growing slowly but surely. And we're saying, let's pick up the pace and mobilize more people to go. A couple months ago, Pastor Tom and I, we got to go visit six countries that we partner with and we have missionaries there. And six countries in 12 days. It was a crazy trip, but it was so amazing to see what God is doing on the ground. And one of the countries we visited was the nation of India. You may not know, but India is now the most populous country in the world. It overtook China last year. And we landed at 11 o'clock at night. And we landed, we're driving to the hotel, and there are literally just people everywhere. I've never seen so many people, first of all, at 11 o'clock at night anywhere, but there's just people everywhere. As far as the eye can see, just people upon people. And here's what I saw. These are all people, like Pastor Teddy, Teddy said earlier, they have little idols in their house. They are worshiping the Hindu religion, thinking it will get them somewhere in the afterlife. And I'm seeing them in real life as sheep without a shepherd. They need to know there's Jesus is the hope for the world. And those little idols are not going to give them what they think it's going to give them. But Jesus will, Jesus will fulfill the longing of their soul. And so I see them and I have compassion. Why? Because I saw them there. I had to go to see them. A couple days before that, Pastor Tom and I are in Iraq and we're sitting in this little house with Syrian refugees. And this big burly Syrian man is telling the story of just a few years ago when ISIS was ravaging that part of the world. ISIS exploded a bomb at his son's seven-year-old son's school. Right in front of his eyes, his teachers and his classmates are, are murdered right before his eyes. And now, a few years later, he's still suffering with the mental trauma of all that. This dad with tears in his eyes is saying, what can I do for my son? You know what I felt in that moment? Compassion. Why? Because I saw it. I hope you feel a little bit of my passion because I want to tell you with everything in me, if you are able, Hope Church, you have to go and see it. Whether that's across the street, sharing the gospel with your neighbor, downtown in Las Vegas, getting involved with the love well or purchased or, or whatever it may be, education in our city, going on a church plant trip, or we're just caring for and encouraging the church planters that are pushing darkness in, in, in the Western United States, pushing back on darkness or getting on a plane and going somewhere where they don't speak your language, but somebody from that nation will be around the throne of God one day saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And you might be a part of introducing those people to the hope of the world, which is Jesus. You gotta go. 
Because once you do, I'm telling you, you'll never be the same when you see it. I want to close by sharing a story much like that. There's a man in our church named Jim. He joined one of our go time trips to South Asia. And he had an experience that changed him forever. It created in him this kind of Christ-like compassion that I hope we all feel as we see the need and see our part to play in meeting it. Watch Jim's story. James and I were walking in a new village that had never been evangelized before. And we came on this one uh, small house and, a, and, a, and an elderly gentleman and I found out he was 100 years old. And he invited us up on his porch for conversation and just because the people in that region are extremely hospitable. He explained that he was 100 years old. He had uh, countless grandchildren and great-grandchildren. And he was very energetic uh, and very, very sharp for his age. And uh, then I started to share the, uh, the gospel story on the, uh, that we used on the bracelet that we took with us. And he was intently listening, and I realized that his wife is, is, is in the doorway next to me, and his son is next to her, and there's a nephew and a niece and a neighbor, and everybody's listening intensely to the story of the gospel. Well, we got down to the, uh, the icon of the cross, and I started to tell about the atoning sacrifice that Jesus had made, how his blood covers the sin, and uh, that's when hell broke loose. Chickens started flying around. Uh, there was a horn that started beeping. Uh, somebody drove up. Uh, there was some other commotion around us. And, and definitely there was an interruption of the moment. Well, a man came up and, and came up on the porch and told this 100-year-old this man, I've got, I've got something for you. I've got what you need. And he, he took him inside the house. Well, they were in there for about five or ten minutes, and uh, um, James and I were outside praying on the porch that uh, we would have an opportunity to finish the story of the gospel. But uh, about five or ten minutes later, they came out, and the man who, had, who came on the porch, I discovered later, was a healer or a shaman. And, uh, and he left without saying anything. The older gentleman came out of the house, and he had orange pollen on his ears. And the shaman had been in there and told him that uh, he knew what, uh, what this man needed and he didn't need what, uh, what we were telling him. So that effectively shut down the, uh, the conversation. He was polite, but the, the moment was lost. The moment was gone. We stayed a little longer, but as we walked away, uh, both James and I were grieving in our hearts because it had taken a hundred years for this man to hear the name of Jesus hear the gospel, and we didn't get a chance to finish. A chance was lost. So the question that I have moving forward is, is he going to get a chance? Will he get another chance to hear the rest of the story? And who will go there to tell it? With that story in our hearts and minds, look at this quote from pastor, author, David Platt. Do we sense the urgency? Do we see the world with the eyes of Jesus? We don't have time to play games with our lives or play games in the church. We don't have time to waste our lives on the pursuits, pleasures, and possessions of this world when there's something infinitely more important for us to do.
as I've been praying and studying, I'm asking the Lord for myself, for my family, for our church. God, give us eyes to see what you see so that we can feel what you felt. So ultimately we can by your spirit's power do what you did. Every week we have an opportunity to respond. This week and next week, we're gonna respond the same way. We're gonna ask you. We're gonna ask you to, to put some feet to your faith and do three things. Here they are, pray, give, and go. If anything in you is stirred up and challenged by the word of God, we're gonna ask you to pray, give, and go. I hope every single person stops by the tables, the ones that say Las Vegas, the West of the world, and grabs one of these booklets. Maybe this week you just start by praying. Stick this in your Bible, and as you spend time with God in your God time, you can just go through this, all the opportunities and things we're able to be a part of as a church in Las Vegas, the West World, and just pray, God, if you don't do these things, it won't get done. Not human effort, God's ability. Pray. We've said for years, prayer is the work, and then God works. So let's pray to the Lord of the harvest and ask him to do what only he can do. Maybe you wanna grab prayer cards. We have some prayer cards for the three missionary families we've sent out over the last couple years. Grab those cards, stick them in your Bible. Maybe set a specific day each, each week where you'll pray for those missionaries. Maybe it's the church planners. We are the Balfours and the Gracias. They have prayer cards out there as well. Would we just be a church that is praying for God to do what only he can do, but also give. For those of you who are new to hope, every year, the end of the year, we do what we call our Hope for the World offering. We highlight specific areas that we are in our partners in Las Vegas, the West, and the world. And we have a goal of $300,000 this year to, to invest into what God is doing. You can see that on the screen, but as you leave, you can grab one of these brochures, gives you some more information about what it is that we are asking the Lord to do as we open our hands and say, yes, Lord. Every year we've seen him do, and we'll continue to share those stories. We've seen him do incredible things literally all over the globe because of our meager attempts by faith to say whatever you want, Lord, we're willing. And lastly, go. All throughout this book are opportunities for you to go. Maybe you can't physically go. Every single one of our mission teams, every single one of our go time teams don't just have goers. They also have prayers and senders. Every person in our church can be involved in what God is doing around the world, even if it means you don't get on a plane. But listen, if you can, get on a plane so you can see it, so you can see what he sees, feel what he feels and do what he desires for us to do. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for the challenge. Thank you for the moments where we come to this building, gather as a church and feel that gracious impressing of the Holy Spirit. Right now, if you're a follower of Jesus, I would just challenge you to ask the Lord this question. God, what is my next step? And prayer and giving and going, what is my next step? And if you're bold enough, listen for him to answer and take a step of obedience. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus, the Bible would say you are like a sheep without a shepherd. But here's the good news. The shepherd has done everything necessary to win you back into a relationship with him. He's a good shepherd just like this young lady that came down the last service and she said, I am a sheep without a shepherd. What is this? This is somebody experiencing salvation right here in our midst. Maybe right now you're somebody who realizes I don't have the good shepherd. Well, you can today because he's done everything necessary to get you.
All you have to do is say yes to him. If you want to come talk to us about what that looks like, we'd love to have a conversation with you. Followers of Jesus, maybe you just want to come up to this altar and just cry out to God on behalf of whatever's on your heart. As we see what he saw, feel what he felt, and do what he did. Jesus, whatever our response is right now, will we follow you in obedience. As we sing about the greatness of our God, thank you that you are great. Thank you that your kingdom is big and thank you that you're inviting us to be a part of it. We love you. It's in Jesus' name. Let us respond now however we need to. In your name we pray, amen. Let's stand and respond as the Lord leads.